2: fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome,
0: welcome, welcome, welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I am Misha Globerman, your host. Trampoline Hall, as you know, is a lecture series that takes place in Toronto, in a bar. I just say usually in Toronto, sometimes you go to other cities, but it's usually in Toronto. At Trampling Hall, people give lectures on all types of topics, with the one restriction being that they cannot be professionally expert in the subject on which they speak, it cannot be their job, to know the thing. After each lecture, we take questions from the audience and by we, I mean I, I take questions from the audience. This is the Trampling Hall podcast. The way that works is that we go through the extensive Trampling Hall archives. We choose individual lectures. Each lecture becomes one episode of the podcast. Six episodes become a season and this this is the 6th episode of the season which if you're paying attention means it is the final episode of the season. If you enjoy the podcast and you're in Toronto, you might want to come check out Trampling Hall Live. Uh, To find out about that, uh, go to the website, tramplinghall.net, get on our email list, and we will send you an email, let you know when the next show is. Uh, This episode, of course, may contain mature language. I wanted to warn you about that. And now, now I will introduce you uh, to the speaker of the episode. The topic is A Life in Flowers, and the speaker is Zach Schwartz.
1: Hello? Hello? Hi. Yeah, maybe just a tilt, like a light tilt. a light tilt. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Okay. So, um, Ali was putting pressure on me uh, to give a title to my trampoline hall speech. And I, I, I do realize that I'm now the second person to roll you under the bus. And I'm sorry about that. Because it's because you're such an active and great curator and person that uh, we all we all arrived where we are today, w- by some extent. Anyway, uh, she was like, I'm gonna give you some advice. Just pick something vague, and then that way you can speak about virtually anything when the night comes. And then pick something sort of utilitarian, because then that won't imply any tone. So whatever tone you have will be the right tone. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, cool. I just need 24 hours to do this, and she was like, but actually you need to do this right now. And then so I said, A Life in Flowers. And then she was like, I think that that is the antithesis of the advice I just gave you. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah, but is, that's, a pretty, that's pretty pretty, isn't it? And, sh- and, then she, and then she said, fine. And so, and so that's, that's how uh, we arrived here. But the thing is, I'm not really sure how to talk about A Life in Flowers. Uh, first of all, I'm not really sure about word in as the preposition. I'm sure s- some of you noticed that, and you're like, what does this mean? And uh, I don't have that answer for you. And I'm also not sure, I never use capital letters, and I'm, I'm really not sure about uh, life with a capital L. That seems like way too big, uh, way too big to broach. And <laughs> so I don't know how to talk about life with a capital L and I don't know how to talk about how that pertains to flowers and I don't know how to talk about uh, the poetry therein but I have been to a few uh, trampoline halls and I know that it's more an exercise in subjectivity than it is in expertise and I find this to be a great relief not just in the ways that it services uh, my speech tonight but also (laughs) also because um, I have and I have this shitty nebulous overly poetic title to a lecture that sort of sets the stage for a monologue that I don't know the lines to but then also because I've been thinking about expertise a lot and I'm I'm not sure that it should exist and I'm not sure that what I'm not sure about what motivates it and I, I think it maybe stagnates us and it creates sort of a chasm and shouldn't we be trying to connect and evolve and learn as opposed to categorize and taxonomize and divide and that's I was thinking when I was reading this, just before I did this speech, I was like, what if that's where my speech ended? And wouldn't that be tight? But then, but it's actually not, because that's not, that's not, that's actually not the speech at all. And then I had a secondary thought that was like, and I've been, I've been, it took me like 11 years to get my undergraduate degree, so like I have no problem with academia, but I I feel like, (laughs) I mean, I have a problem succeeding within academia, but I have no problem with it as an institution. And I felt like um, that. M- I felt like maybe does academia perpetuate this? Like the more you study, the more narrow your focus becomes, and inaccessible, and esoteric, and the more explaining you need to do. And then whatever you specialize in, you don't even like know how to tell people. It takes, like, an entire evening to tell them what your specialty is. So, like, we're not really helping anybody at that point or connecting with anybody at that point. But, alas, that is absolutely not what my lecture is about. So, um, and I, do, I have zero definitive answers to those questions, which maybe means that I'm on the right track, but also means don't ask me any questions about that in the Q&A, which is the part that I'm, the, I'm most nervous about, because that part I haven't written out. And then, so, okay. so. If my lecture actually was about a life in flowers, I would begin by talking about my longtime landscaping boss Norman Sprinkle, and, uh, the, and the thing about Norm is that he is a he is a uh, landscaper and he is a gay man. And I know like his sexuality might not have anything to do with this, but I think it does, and I've prepared three reasons why I think it does. Uh, n- number one is that. Norman insisted every day, like every hour uh, uh, that I was with him for seven, I worked there for seven years, I did or maybe I didn't, but I worked with him for seven years, and uh, he insisted on talking about his sexuality every day, and not just in words. There was sublingual stuff happening, too, like innuendo and uh, idiosyncrasy, and uh, also he would always, every day, he would say this thing like, I drove a truck my whole life and no one called me a trucker, but I sucked one cock and everybody called me a cock And so, like, I think it is intrinsically, I think it is intrinsically a part of his identity. And then, reason number two is that if you name your child Norman Sprinkle, I think there is something to be said for Manifest Destiny and that we have, like, a, we have a responsibility when naming things, which is, like, a really difficult task, we have a responsibility to uh, name well, and I'm not good at this. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to think that I think I'm good at this, because I have a cat named uh, Babs Birdie Strawberry Morning Greenheart, and uh, he has, like, a, fu- a fucking horrible identity crisis, and, like, I don't... So I'm not saying that this is easy, but I don't think that Norman's parents really knocked it out of the park either, and then... Number three is that, and I think this is somewhat pertinent, is that Norman didn't hire people for his landscaping company based on their experience or landscaping acumen, but he hired them based on A, either their looks, or B, whether they were willing to work topless. And so I, if there's one thing you can extract from this lecture, is that I am willing to work topless. Like, it's not, it's not that big a deal for me. For like $14 an hour cash, like, it's really not that big a deal to me. And I think we all should... Um, so anyway, so the first three years, also not what the lectures about, but so, so for the first three years of my tenure at Sprinkle, Lawn Care and Landscaping, which like now is the perfect time to tell you that we don't do sprinklers, like we, <laughs> we're just landscape and lawn care, We're like we know nothing about sprinklers, we will outsource, uh, uh, despite the fact that I would oversee the lawn crew three days a week, when it would come time for my three days of landscaping with Norm, he didn't think I was ready to handle the hedge trimmers, which was like this great honor, this covetous honor. And so I would just carry a a rake around and like rake behind Norm with a paper bag. And uh, then I would try to like drown out his petulant cell phone conversations with his, mostly with his friend Craig. And Craig, Craig was Norm's OWL, which is an acronym for older, wiser lesbian, except that I don't know if there's a male equivalent to this, and I tried to find it, but like, you know, is there? <laughs> tell me after, tell me after. Okay, so I tried to find the male equivalent, and, uh, but like how Daryl and uh, Camille sort of did like a research-based uh, lecture about, there's no research that went into my lecture, so I just stopped <laughs> right there, like I stopped at the Google search, and I was like, I don't want to pollute this landscape with, uh, with, with research, <laughs> so. So I don't know. So Craig was his owl for, th- for the purposes of this lecture. And um, anyway, I drown out their conversations uh, about Norm's self-diagnosed electrolyte deficiency <laughs> and, Norm's <laughs> and Norm's self-diagnosed bee sting sensitivity. And then about how like Craig, my favorite story about Craig is that uh, he, his next door neighbors filed a noise complaint against him, which he thought, during the day, no less, and uh, which he thought was fueled mostly by homophobia and had nothing to do with his Celine Dion sessions. And then he sought vengeance, like, by night, by, by moonlight, by poisoning their arborvites, which is, like... A super vindictive, but also pretty sexy thing to do. I think I don't know because now they just have these like bright orange arborvitaes, and now we're entering like too deep into landscaping speak, and I, I maybe lost my audience. But uh, anyway, I would drown out the cyclicality of their conversations with the cyclicality of sport talk radio, and I would just wait for my big topless moment to like put the rake down, and f- take the hedge trimmers and feel their power and go where the hedge tells me to go and like listen to it, like listen to its curves and its whispers and to exhibit sort of the the diligence and the precision uh, in manicuring this hedge that I had seen Norm exhibit. And so one day uh, after work, I sat in Craig's sprawling backyard garden oasis and I listened to them, you know, talk about love and lost hope and dreams and stuff. And, uh, and uh, beneath this sort of canopy of yellow roses of Texas, which were especially hard to grow in the Michigan climate, but only Craig could pull this off, and, uh, and, and cloaked in sort of the, uh, the aromas of like new honeysuckle and amidst the beauty of, of uh, freshly blossomed hyacinths, Norm said, I think you might be ready. And we were just, so, we were a little bit buzzed on Mike's hard lemonade, so I like, I took a. <laughs> I took it, which was Norm's drink of choice, and so I took it with a grain of salt, uh, I, I guess like actually super saccharine alcohol, I took it with a grain of super saccharine alcohol, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't think too much of it, and then um, Norm and Craig sort of exchanged this knowing glance across the gazebo, and then the sun set sort of softly and sweetly as I remember it, and then the next morning I woke up, and I got the call, and Norm was like, I'm low on electrolytes. I need you to take, <laughs> he's like, I need you to take the hedge trimmers <laughs> and I need you to go to Celia Cars. and you know those boxwoods are ornery, but you know what to do. And I was like, do I know what to do? He's like, take Jordan. And so Jordan is like the most inept person on the crew, but he has this like, the, he has like this chiseled pectoral, this like hairless, and he has this like super vapid love interest and like virtually nothing to talk about. So I was like, okay, there's some comfort in taking norm uh taking uh, Jordan, so I get to Celia Carr's and I greet her dog, Maury, with calmness, and uh, I close the gate, I lock the gate behind me, I make sure to lock the gate behind me, and I hold the hedge trimmers and like, I feel their weight, but not only their weight in, in, a, in the physical realm, but of course in the symbolic realm, as you guys know, and, like, <laughs> and I take a moment to like acknowledge the hedge, and I pull the cord, and then what commenced was this like revelation. And the revelation was, this is the easiest fucking thing I've ever done, and like, and like anybody, like truly anybody could do this. And here, uh, and I mean, but for the following reasons, because nature is incredibly resilient, so it's like a very low-stakes uh, thing that you're that you're doing here. You know what I mean? And then also, uh, the margin for error is incredibly high, which is like also very good. And then uh, also, the leaves would like at just the suggestion of the blades, they would submissively fall to the ground. And so it was like, not the ta- physically taxing experience I thought it would be, it was none of those things. And then that led to further revelations like, uh, for example, uh, that the world is full of people who embellish their expertise for the sake of validation of self. And that uh, they treat their knowledge as something esoteric because they're afraid of what they are without it, of course. And that anyone can do this. Anyone with enough determination and patience and access to YouTube can do virtually anything, and I really believe that. And none of my skills or any of our skills are precious, and that we should uh, work towards sharing them. And you don't have to take it from me or from Jordan or from uh, Maury the dog. You just need, like, gas-powered hedge trimmers, and then sort of the world is sort of yours. And um, so... All of this took place in Detroit, which is uh, where I'm from. And uh, when I first moved to Toronto in 2010, and I would tell people I was from Detroit, they'd be like, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and they would meet me with this like sort of, I don't know, m- um, moral supremacy or whatever. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what narratives were running through your your heads at the time. And now, when I tell people, they're like, "Ooh, Detroit! Like, I would love to visit there. I've been dying to go there." And I'm like okay, cool, yeah, you should definitely go, uh, except you should know that the uh, post-industrialis- uh, post-industrialism and post-capitalist uh, zeitgeist of Detroit is a tiny window closing rapidly, and that all of the altruists and all the dreamers and all the people who believe in this city and what it could be in the face of like all the ruination in America, uh, their voices are being silenced, and uh, the people with corporate interests have swooped in, and it's once again a story of those who have versus those who do not, and uh, of course they've sunk their claws into the tender flesh of Detroit, and pretty soon it will be, As exclusive uh, as Brooklyn or Portland or Austin or any of your favorite cities, but anyway. (laughs) Also, also, this is not about Detroit. So, um, but if if it were about Detroit, so when I was living there, when I moved to the city, when I was old enough to leave my parents' house, I was living in this house on an acre in this place called North Corktown, which was sometimes referred to as the urban prairies because this guy in uh, the 80s, he went on this vigilante mission to burn down any houses that weren't there uh, that were either being inhabited by squatters or totally vacated. And so it created this sort of beautiful uh, uh, precipice where you would look to the west and you would see the sparseness and the post-apocalyptic sunsets and, like, the trees... And then you'd look to the east and you would see the sort of towering technicolor lights of Motor City Casino. And it was like this very rare intersection. And uh, I lived in a house that was, I'm going too, f- I strayed too far from my notes. I don't think I might have lost where I was. Okay, so I lived in this house that uh, was on an acre. And we had, it was the only house on the acre. And I shared it with my housemate, uh, Dana, who was not my wife, which is important to the story later. Um, And she, or sorry, we had chickens and we had a vegetable garden and we had a seesaw that nobody ever used. And I'm like, I feel like adult seesaws, like, that's just sort of maybe a bad idea from the start. But somebody made it, somebody more hopeful than me. And then we also had this, like, sunflower patch that must have been there forever because the sunflowers were massive and sort of whimsical and, I don't know, a lot of movement and liquidy. And uh, anyway... Uh, And I had – my rent at the time was $430, which I split with my not-wife, Dana. So it was $215 for each of us. And my landlord was this guy named Jerry Boudreau. And uh, I loved Jerry for his openness, his childlike sense of wonderment, his – inquisitiveness, but what upset me about Jerry was he was also, like, very dogmatic, and he also could not retain detail or memory, which is, like, probably not his fault. I mean, the two theories are he is a victim of a closed head injury, which is very serious. I don't know any of this. This is all conjecture. But uh, we, me and Jerry, like, never got there. But uh, he is a victim of a closed head injury, which is very serious, or possibly, and this is my theory, being not an expert in anything, that his memory had reached its full capacity, and then... <laughs> There was no room for any other, there was no room for input, and it just stagnated there. And I don't know, I don't know, you guys be the judge, but don't ask me about it in the c- uh, question, uh, question and answer <laughs> portion of, of this uh, speech. But um, so one rent day, uh, I saw him standing out by the sunflowers and I went to talk to him. and he was like holding a sunflower in his hand and staring very pensively into that post-apocalyptic Detroit sunset. And he was like, just running the pedals between his fingers and I brought him the check. And he said, thank you. How's your wife whose name I can't recall? And I said, Jerry, she's not my wife. She is doing very well. Otherwise, uh, thank you for asking. And he said, that's no way to speak about somebody you're committed to. <laughs> and I know, and I said, and I was a little bit frustrated at this point because I have probably been living in this house for two years now. And like, I am committed to Dana as a housemate but like I, and and many other things like she has a very gifted mind and we represent we we complement each other very nicely and I would still live with her like I mean not in a romantic way but I would still live with her and she uh, and so I was a little bit frustrated and partially I think the frustration comes from resenting your landlord on rent day which I think is like a really natural thing and so even for four hundred and thirty dollars and so I was like I was like Jerry um, we're not in a relationship uh, I care about her deeply but she is not my... I, in fact, I'm dating someone else. And he, like, stopped. He, like, let go of the sunflower, <laughs> and the sunflower sprung up in the air above us, sort of hovering above us and, like, bobbing in the wind, and then Jerry, and Jerry's bobbing in the wind, and he's still, he's still looking towards the horizon, and he said, I'm an expert in nothing, but there's one thing that I know. And then I'm like, okay sure, I'm ready for this. If like, this is the one thing that you know, as a, as a person who can't remember anything, like, maybe this is important or, or equal parts, like, totally gobbledygook. And, he t- and then he looks at me for the first time in this conversation, and then the, also the stun- sunflower was staring at me with, like, its single eye, which is al- also very jarring. And he was like, you never, never embarrass the person you love. And I was like... Okay, that is wildly out of context, <laughs> given what I've told you, but it, it's also the most beautiful advice I've ever heard, and I'm, I'm jostled to my core right now. And like, if my if my lecture was about Jerry, which of course it is not, because there's too much to talk about, I would probably tell you how like my entire life sort of shifted on its axis in that moment, and then uh, what I had learned, and that the advice that he and that omnipotent sunflower. Uh, Gave me, and every time I get the urge to argue with uh, a person I love in public, whenever my emotional self wells up inside of me until my shoulders get hot with the desire to make my point at the expense of the person I love, but also because also that's not what this lecture is about. It's it's but okay, but (laughs) if it were, uh, I would also take this moment to tell you about my grandmother, who I called Gibby. Uh, and the reason I called her this was because when I was a baby and I was learning to speak, I had a grandma, a grandpa, a gran, and a papa, and I called them Gibby, 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 and Papa. And and, uh, my uh, my dad's mom loved that name so much that she kept it, and I was the oldest grandchild, so everybody uh, called her Gibby, And uh, which brings on a quick digression, which is maybe this whole lecture is a digression, but the quick digression is that... um, why is it that when we really love somebody, like the most important people in our life, like the centrifugal force, like our mothers and grandmothers, like why do we call them mom and grandma? Like we basically take what is individual and unique about them and then we sort of put them in this generic category. And so I don't like that. And that's, that's all. But then I all... And then, <laughs> uh, and then my other question that I think has to do with that, and maybe this is my Q&A period for you guys, is like... <laughs> Why are we celebrated on our birthday? Because, like, we did nothing to be brought into this world except for nine months. We just, like, took and took and took and took and <laughs> took. And then we come out. And then comes, like, the, f- the relief and then the fawning. And then, of course, the megalomania and the solipsism and the egocentrism. And then, do you know what I mean? Like, why on our birthdays, we should give our moms a fucking present on our birthdays. Like, they did all the work. And then on Mother's Day, th- are you a mom or? Oh uh, okay. You just yeah, yeah, it's just a relatable sentiment. Yeah, and uh, thank you. I'm glad. I was worried. I was worried that it wasn't that no one's gonna get it. And then and then on our birthdays, we give our mom the present. And then on what we know right now as Mother's Day, we uh, all the kids, everybody who's a kid gets a present. And then that way it's not like our special day, you know, because we did nothing to deserve it. And then Father's Day stays the same because that's like sort of on the periphery, and then on Father's Day we just get like, we go to the freezer and we get like an unwrapped pack of Marlboro cigarettes and or a, a carton and we give it to our dad. Or we get like, we go to the trunk and then we get like a spatula that like presses the logo of his alma mater sports team into like a burger. And, then, but, and so that's just Father's Day. And so the, Father's Day stays the same. But um, anyway, uh, just real quick, this is sort of the end, is that I'm gonna take. This opportunity to eulogize my grandmother, which I didn't realize was happening until I had read the speech like 15 minutes before I gave it, because I never had the opportunity to do that. And why I think it ties into Trampoline Hall is that um, when we were coming in, Kate said, "Hey, welcome, lecturers. This is your one chance to speak at Trampoline Hall. This is it. It's permanent. Like, you know, this is there's finality here." And I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, and I didn't know that. And then I thought well, that makes this like, way more daunting. And, uh, and then I thought, well, you know, my grandma died like 10 years ago, and I thought that was my one chance to eulogize her, but it turns out it's not. So I'm going like, to a- abuse this tiny little sliver of uh, power that I have just because I have a working microphone in front of me. I'm, g- I'm going to eulogize her uh, really quickly and just say that um, my Gibby was deliberate and judicious, and she had a slowness and a grace, and all of these qualities manifested in her garden, balanced feng shui, diversity of color, diversity of plant, everything neatly and slowly trimmed, everything maintained, and everything acknowledged. And all of this, in my mind, juxtaposed poetically against... uh, the suburban concrete home that she lived in with a highly chlorinated pool and stucco walls that were stained yellow from decades of chain smoking and uh, sharp edged tables and dust and unsavory shag carpets and brooding framed portraits of like old white men in like boiler hats and then what I would call uh, uh, domicile or domicile, I'm not sure, I should have looked that up, I can't do research, but what I would call uh, domicile decay. And so her spirit was obviously in the garden and uh, not in the home. And when she died, uh, the garden fell into a state of disrepair, uh, neglect, wildness, and it became more a reflection of my grandfather's broken spirit than my Gibby's memory. And so instead of her out there chain-smoking ciggies, as she called them, it was now my grandpa drinking his uh, Cuddy Sark Neat with a twist, blind as hell at this point, three years after my Gibby had passed away, and I was swimming in the now even more chlorinated pool that was the nasty byproduct of my grandfather's uh, blindness and stubbornness, uh, and that, uh, which he now embodied. Um, and I was getting these sort of hot hits of chlorine in my eyes that were making me feel more alive. And I watched as my grandpa reached out and discovered a uh, single rose that had somehow emerged from the Garden of Ruin. And I remember it was a variegated uh, rose uh, with hues of yellow and orange, which I wish were my Gibby's favorite colors. But actually, her favorite color was cobalt a deep blue, uh, and, uh, which is f- m- more fitting. And, uh, and, and, and it had risen from the chaos of neglect. And he stared at it through his milky blue ca- uh, cataracts, and I stared at him through my eyes burning from chlorine. And he began to weep. And uh, if I was going to talk about a life in flowers, I would definitely share with you what I felt in that moment, waiting in the pool, the hum of a distant lawnmower, and the echoes of my grandpa's sobs, the only sounds in the air. That's all.
0: Zach Schwartz, Elijah Flowers. You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Nisha Goldman. Up next, the Q&A.
1: Are no there questions? any questions? No questions. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can ask me anything.
0: Yes, all the way in the back. You, ma'am. So what do you think is up with feeling an argument in your shoulders? Why do you feel an argument in your shoulders? What's up with that? Could you feel that too? Sometimes.
1: That's a great question. I don't know. I know very little about anatomy. I'm often at odds uh, between my, like, uh, you know, my physical self and my cerebral self. But I think it just has to register somewhere. I mean, I know that probably other people feel it in their fists. Like, there's pretty well-documented evidence of this. And, like, for <laughs> me, it just surges. Like, it just surges, and I feel it. My shoulders get tense, and my posture gets, like, really uh, un- un- unsavory. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's just me, but maybe it's you, too. I don't know.
0: Does that answer your question? I'm sure it does. Yeah. Anything else? Any other, qu- any other questions you'd like? Yes, yeah, so over here. Yes. Do you have a favorite memory of your grandmother? Do you have a favorite memory of your grandmother? Oh, know?
1: Yeah. Oh, Bibi, Yeah. Uh, she, well, okay, one of my favorite memories of her, I guess I'm going to start with the grim one, and then I'll go to a more pleasant one, which uh, was she when she was dying, and everybody knew she was dying, I would go visit her, and she had this, like, extensive and... Magical library of like first edition books because she came from a great wealth that she rejected because her dad was a bad dad and her mom wasn't in the scene. And so she took his money and then she stopped taking his money. But what she did with his money was build this incredible library. And so I would go to her house and she, as I was leaving, I'd like go give her a smooch on the forehead and she'd say, "Uh, You need to go get some books. And I'd be like, Gibby, I'm not taking your books. And then she'd be like, Well, I can't take them with me. And then so I'd have to go pick out like four or five books to appease her. so now I have a pretty good library, but I don't treat it the way she does. And then, But also, when I was a kid, we would like comb the beach in this tiny and pretty unremarkable part of Michigan, and I would pick out rocks that I loved, and then me and my Gibby would polish them, and that is a sacred memory.
0: Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. It does. yeah. Are you Hi. crying? No, it's good. <laughs> good. <laughs> good.
1: Good. <laughs> good. Good. Do you miss her? No, I'm just kidding. That was a great <laughs> question. Thank you. Uh, yeah, back there. Yes. Uh, what are you going to
0: what do you give your mom? What are you gonna give your mom for your birthday?
1: That's a really good question. I think, uh, fuck, yeah, maybe I'll just go to Florida where she lives, which is like a huge sacrifice. That would be nice. I'll give, <laughs> I'll give her the gift of my presence, which is like so counterintuitive to what I was saying that about solipsism and like egomania. Where I'm just like, mom, I bequeath to you like me for three days, like. <laughs> Or maybe, I, I don't know, uh, I'll make her something. I'll make her something. nice. I always make her something.
0: What do you think? Does that seem okay to you? Does that <laughs> seem like a good gift? Just like, here I am again? Or are you, like, between that and the make her something, do you have a...
1: It depends what you would make her. I'm all out of, I've made her so, I've made her very nice things. I'm, I feel like I'm out of things to make. Like, she and I need to, we need to have more memories. Do you know what I mean? Like, we, uh, we need to make more memories together, and then I'll make more shit.
0: Take her to where?
1: Take her to oh, Disney World. Oh, you want World. you want it to cycle back. You want me to pay it forward, like you want the circle <laughs> to close in on itself. I get it. Okay, cool. Yeah, because she, she took me there, and you, obviously you know that. Because I. So
0: <laughs> 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 Why do you know that? Well, just cause, no. I'm just kidding. Do you right? know that because you know each other? You know that just because because that you figure that's a universal. Oh, okay, yeah. We're all just right. we're just riffing. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Cool. Um. All right. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. Do you think that do you, do you think Norma Sprinkle thinks about you as much as you think about him? I know that he does, yeah. I know that he does because um, I think what I brought to Norm versus what some of the other crew members brought to Norm was like, I've, I don't have the pecs. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, have the, I don't have the physique. But what I would bring that they didn't know how to bring was like a willingness to listen to Norm, which became grading and excruciating over time but like <laughs> it's it is for better or for worse like the way in which maybe I think we can all connect with people is to like listen to them and then allow them to say things and then listen to what they have to say when they know that someone's listening. And so I gave that to Norm. I, we're not really talking anymore, but
0: <laughs> 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 we
1: didn't have an explicit falling out. But what well, you did, you did not have an explicit falling out. No, just we like didn't. We did. just uh, you know, all part, things must pass. Like yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, it can't be forever. Yeah, Wait, beauty is ephemeral. But he still thinks of you often. <laughs> I know you he does. You must. <laughs> you assume. <laughs> <laughs> On the whole, would you rather I'm be someone who's good at listening or Someone with really good pecs. <laughs> Wait, w- really good pets? Pecs. Oh, wasn't that the distinction you drew? <laughs> yeah, pecs. Yeah, yeah. And you were like, wh- I was like. I thought I you gonna... said pets. I thought you no, said pets. Yeah, that would be weird. And I was like, what do you That's know my about follow- Babs? That's yeah. my follow-up question. No, uh,
1: what do you know about Babs? birdie Strawberry <laughs> Morning, Greenheart—that that I didn't mention in this uh, lecture. <laughs> no, I think take, I take—I will take the pecs. Yeah. All right. Okay. Just checking. All right. Cool. Anything else? Yes, yeah, you, ma'am, the
0: non-mother in the front row. What
2: did you study in university?
0: Why did you study in university? It's just uh, small talk now. Well, you it took 11 years. because oh, it took 11 yeah. years, right. What would it take so long? Well, I was using... That was not my question. No, that was not your question. That's my question. What, what yeah. would take so long? <laughs> Thank you for sharing the responsibility appropriately there.
1: So it like a two-person, two-part question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I studied English literature, and uh, I studied linguistics, uh, and then I f- finally graduated from radio, television, and the arts at Ryerson. Yeah. There you go. And uh, it took so long because I was using university as a vehicle to travel, and I had no value for, uh, like, money or a degree or anything, and maybe I still don't, right. uh, but I, was, I, went to, I went to five different undergraduate universities.
0: Whoa. okay. All right. Yeah. So and I have very little. Did you for. have more? You had more? Where do you know? What else do you want to know? Where did you study? What?
1: What? <laughs> where? Where did you study? What? Interesting. I started at University of Vermont, which is where people go to just basically burn out entirely. and Everybody drops out after the first year, and so I did. And then I went to Michigan State University. And then I went to, uh, I was living in the West Coast and I wanted to stay, so I went to UBC. Uh, and that thus began my Canada journey. And uh, then I went to Wayne State in Detroit. And then I finished in Ryerson, I think, I don't know.
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you. Does that, does that answer your question? It does, indeed. All right, great, uh, yes, back there, yes, back there. Oh yeah, you, the person looking behind you to see if, yeah, um So you had a really lovely moment with Jerry. Um, did Dana have a lovely moment with Jerry that she was like, oh my god, and she told you, or that So the you wanna know how Dana and Jerry interacted? You had this really incredible memory of like, oh you've changed my life, but I still don't like you, but you've changed my life. Yeah. I'm wondering if Dana ever got to have it. A- did Jerry change Dana's life? Did Dana get to take from Jerry get from Jerry what you got from Jerry? <laughs> did yeah, yeah, did Dana
1: get what did Dana get from Jerry? It's either that's it's fair. what we're all
0: asking ourselves.
1: I mean, <laughs> It's fair. I think uh, probably not. And this is why um, I think that Jerry just sort of in the little what I believe to be born again Christian, micro-universe, deeply religious uh, sect that he came from I think I was a more fit liaison for our rent checks. And so uh, 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 Dana didn't get to know him in the same way. Yeah. Which is uh, you know, I wish she did. Although I can already tell her how it would play out. Like I got from that everything that either that either Dana or I needed
0: so you figure just like Jerry just has certain things to give and no <laughs> yeah, matter who yeah. you are, those yeah. are so if I were to interact with Jerry I would <laughs> take from Jerry what you took from Jerry and basically. now you don't need to that's basically yeah. it yeah, so exactly. I can like that, those idea. are just Not he's got, got
1: yeah. those things to give and, so, and I, yes. I imagine that rent went up too so there's right. no point <laughs>
0: right. and we all, so we all got those things really from mm-hmm. Jerry today okay yes
1: you ma'am I'm curious about what The more about what have you made your mother over the years. Finally, yeah. Because that was my backup lecture. (laughs) (laughs) It was was just a list of stuff that I made my mom. And then at the end, everybody's like, oh, he loves his mom. So thank you for asking. Uh, uh, I I make stained glass as sort of a side project. I don't make the glass, but I make uh, art out of stained glass. And so I've made her many different iterations of glass. I made a mosaic of our late dog, Gus, a a very well-named pet. I will say, like, I didn't, because I obviously didn't name it. Uh, I made her a mosaic of, like, or not a mosaic, but a stained glass, uh, sort of, they're called suncatchers, because they pick up the light when you hang them in the window. It's it's actually a pretty literal name, now that I say it out loud, and Misha laughs. laughs. I'm like, well, here's why it's called suncatchers. It's, like, like, so didactic, and so, anyway. Uh, I made her a suncatcher of a a make-believe place called Rossman Bay, which is my mom's uh, maiden name, which is my middle name, which I wish was my last name, because I like my mom's side of the family more than my dad's. And other stuff like that. Uh, just in case, for those of you in the in the audience wondering, your, what does the person
0: who asking the question look like while you're giving answers? That she was <laughs> nodding approvingly, like <laughs> like like through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. it's like the most n- approving nodding that I've ever seen <laughs> come just from the
1: audience during a trampoline hall affirmations.
0: They're very thoughtful and genuine. Yeah, it wasn't just like oh, he made her like an ashtray. It was like these other. If it
1: ma- if it makes everybody feel better, my mom's birthday is around the same time as Mother's Day, and so it's like sort of a well, in kids doubling day, up, doubling up. Yeah, right? you'd be yeah, like, you, yeah. you don't get her two things. You get her one thing. You're like, here, yeah,
0: this is for both. Heavens, no. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, one thing for both. Sure, that's yeah. reasonable. And yes, back there. Yes, you have your hand up. Yeah. What are some things you can do to avoid embarrassing your partner? What are some things you can do to avoid embarrassing your partner? Do you ask because you embarrass your partner, or because your partner embarrasses you, or?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I and again, this is conjecture and it's deeply subjective, and I, I'm not sure this will apply to you, uh, but. When I, when I uh, like, feel very passionate about something, I think that passion is often rooted in a defensiveness uh, that's pretty ugly. And uh, so what I do to embarrass my partner is I insist upon making my point, often at their expense. And what I think is a good exercise to not embarrassing your partner, which I've never fully been able to do, as will... I'm, as I'm sure all of my ex lovers in the crowd can speak to tonight, <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that I allow my emotional self to take over. Like it's a rising tide in me and I can't control it. And I think, I, and I'm working on this too, and I'll work on it with you, I think you have to have like a mantra that reminds you of your intellectual self and you need to be like reciting it over, over and over and over and over so that it becomes rote, so that you know that the, the ways in which you uh, interact are not fueled totally by emotion, but rather some overlap between uh, emotion and uh, intellect.
0: So you think intellect specifically, so the answer lies in the intellect. Like the
1: no, I don't mean intellect. I mean just using your mind and not just your... Whatever the like your instinct, is. like like to be yeah, a, that's to the be one. The instinct, to be conscious yeah. of so the instinct. The, the subconscious, okay, the right, subconscious. Yeah, okay. just have a dialogue between your subconscious and your okay. So the answer, so the answer is that does but that? I, that's not my. I mean, I don't know. That's my. I, I don't. I'm not saying that that's true. I'm saying so like, that's a suggestion. That's not empirical. <laughs> does that? Get, in fact, because you haven't had, I'm not success, qualified to answer that question because you haven't had success with it.
0: Is the reason? It's, is that right? Like, yeah. do you, do you have you had success with it or no? It's not. I have. It makes seem sensible, thank
1: you. No, in varying degrees, I've had varying degrees of success. Okay, that would all, right. all sort of amount to. Has anyone <laughs> all right? Does that
0: first yeah. of all does that feel like satisfying? Yes. Yeah, does that work? Do you feel? Like are you? Do you think you could try that out, or ask someone else to try it out? Depending on. Um, are, yeah, I, I <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right, it's harder than like just drink oh, less. Oh, don't do that! Advice. Definitely don't do that. <laughs> I haven't. Well, I haven't tried that. That might work too. <laughs> we don't want to try anything drastic, though. <laughs> okay. All right. So there you go. So 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 that. Any 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 other questions? Anything else you would like to know? Yes. Back there. Yeah.
1: Uh, you mentioned that we we hold on to our skills and our knowledge because we're terrified of who we are without them. Who do you think we are without them, or who can we be without them? What's
0: the ideal so if we're terrified of who we are without our skills and knowledge, who is it that we are without them? Like, is there an ideal there?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a very good question. And uh, again, like, I I don't ha- I don't purport to have the answer. But what I would say is like. I know what Norman is without them. He's somebody with, like, you know, crippling dead who doesn't manage his money or time well and like, all of these, like, burnt-out flames and, like, uh, you know, he, uh, like, lingers on details that are not important to stories or not important to film and stuff like that. So I think when he has that, the gifted... Uh, when he has the gifted ability to trim hedges, like, that gives him maybe a stronger sense of meaning, but I think, you know, maybe if we... Blow up that sense of meaning a little bit. Uh, I I don't know. There might there could be a there could be a capital T truth there, but I actually don't know. I don't know if it is. I don't know. I don't know. Good and question. I have no. idea do you think
0: it matters that the expertise is like like in his case, the expertise is like it made up, like it's not even real? But do you think it matters? Like, is it any, like I, I guess comparing him to university professors, where at least the expertise, at least in theory, is like real. Like they have, I don't know. Like it's not hard to operate the hedge trimmer, but it is hard to like uh, write a write a book about Nietzsche, I don't know, whatever, you know, like, yeah. like is th- does it matter whether it's actually hard or not, or is it the same thing?
1: I don't know. It, I, I don't know. It depends what uh, sort of vantage point you're taking it from. Like, yeah, I think there's probably more, whatever it means to have, like, societal um, accolades or something, there's probably it's probably more meaningful to be able to write a book on Nietzsche. Nietzsche. <laughs> I but don't know why Nietzsche? I made that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that was like my favorite. Because you wanted to thing. see if I could say it, and, no, <laughs> and nobody can, because nobody even fucking knows anymore. But uh, <laughs> that's my hedge trimmer. Saying <laughs> yeah, Nietzsche. Yeah, exactly, I'm exactly. like, oh, I don't know if he's ready oh, to say Nietzsche. Oh, I don't better. know if he's ready. Because mine say ended yes. too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I wrapped mine up too quickly. But yours, like, sort of, yeah, yours is sort of splayed out. Nietzsche. Uh, <laughs> that's,
0: that's what it's all about. <laughs> that's yeah. what it's all about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't. No, I don't know if it matters. I don't know. I didn't mean to launch too deeply into the existential.
0: That's was a was good question. Guess, I, I, I there. Yeah. All right. Maybe I'll wrap it up there. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Zach Schwartz, ladies and gentlemen. Traveling Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was originally chosen by Ali Waterman. The podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Matt Smith. Our coordinating producer is Kate Barrars. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. If you enjoyed the podcast, uh, you might also want to leave a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out a lot. I'm Misha Globerman. Thanks for listening.